Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hello, Truth Seekers. This is Brad Constantine, and this is a Doctrine and Covenants podcast. And today we're going to be doing section 78. 78, I'm going to read the heading as soon as I get to it. Revelation given through the prophet Joseph Smith at Kirtland, Ohio, March the 1st, 1832. On that day, the prophet and other leaders had assembled to discuss church business. This revelation originally instructed the prophet Sidney Rigdon and Newell K. Whitney to travel to Missouri and organize the church's mercantile and publishing endeavors by creating a firm that would oversee these efforts, generating funds for the establishment of Zion and for the benefit of the poor. This firm, known as the United Firm, was organized in April 1832 and disbanded in 1834. Sometime after its dissolution, under the direction of Joseph Smith, the phrase, the affairs of the storehouse for the poor, replaced mercantile and publishing establishments in the Revelation, and the word order replaced the word firm. So a little background also on this. Um, The Lord, first of all, revealed the law of consecration to the saints. The law of consecration is an eternal law, and we can consecrate our lives now to the Lord. Uh, Consecrate means to set apart or dedicate something to the service of the Lord. The law of consecration means an organized way in which individuals consecrate their time, talents, and possessions to the church to build the Lord's kingdom and serve his children. The law of consecration is not just a temporal or economic program. It is also a spiritual law that helps members grow spiritually and prepare for eternal life. The principles of the law of consecration have not changed since they were revealed through the prophet Joseph Smith. However, the application of those principles changes from time to time. So, question, what is the difference between the law of consecration and the United Order? The law of consecration is dedicating something to the Lord by each individual. The united order is the organized way in which the law of consecration is administered among all the members. The city of New Jerusalem will not be built until the saints are living the united order, or at least those that are assigned to go there to build it up. In this revelation, the law of consecration is stated definitely as the law on which the New Jerusalem is to be built. This law is given for the benefit of the poor, for the building of Zion, and the work of the ministry. The members of the church should consecrate their properties and then be appointed stewards in the service of the Lord. All surplus property was to be placed in the storehouse to be used as the Lord should direct, under the guidance of the bishop. We are informed that the high priests and elders were to assist the bishop and his counselors. Let it be remembered that at this time, 1831, the full organization of the church had not been revealed and some temporary arrangements were necessary until the full and complete organization should be established. Through this celestial law, consecration, the saints are to become the covenant people of the Lord. We cannot enter into the fullness of the covenants pertaining to Zion until we have reached the point where we can live such a divine law. Those who cannot abide the law of tithing cannot partake of of this law of consecration or the higher law, and they will be deprived of an inheritance when the inheritances are divided. And that was a quote by Joseph Fielding Smith. The time must come when we must obey that which has been revealed to us as the order of Enoch, when there shall be no rich and no poor among the Latter-day Saints, when wealth will not be a temptation, when every man will love his neighbor as he does himself, when every man and woman will labor for the good of all as much as for self. 
That day must come, and we may as well prepare our hearts for it, brethren, for as wealth increases, I see more and more a necessity for the institution of such an order. As wealth increases, luxury and extravagance have more power over us. The necessity for such an order is very great, and God undoubtedly, in his own time and way, will inspire his servants to introduce it among the people. And that was by George Q. Cannon. Bruce R. McConkie said, We are not always called upon to live the law of consecration and give of, our, of all our time, talents, and means to the building up of the Lord's earthly kingdom. Few of us are called upon to sacrifice much of what we possess, and at the moment there is only an occasional martyr in the cause of revealed religion. But what the scriptural account means is that to gain celestial salvation, we must be able to live these laws to the full if we are called upon to do so. Implicit in this is the reality that we must, in fact, live them to the extent we are called upon so to do. The United Order has not been generally understood. It was not a communal system. The United Order and communism are not, synony are not synonymous. Communism is Satan's counterfeit for the United Order. There is no mistake about this, and those who go about telling us otherwise either do not know or have failed to understand or are willfully misrepresenting. And that was by J. Reuben Clark. It was not always desirable that the identity of the individuals whom the Lord addressed in the revelations should be known by the world. Hence, in the publication uh, earlier, as I mentioned, some subsequent revelations, the brethren were referred to by other than their own names. When the necessity had passed for keeping the names of the individuals uh, unknown, their real names were thereafter given in brackets. The 1981 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants removed the code names. Joseph Smith was Enoch or Gazalam or Barak. Barak Ale, Newell K. Whitney was Ahashda, Ada and Alam, Sidney Rigdon was Pelagorum and Mahalalil, Oliver Cowdery was Hora and Olaiha, Martin Harris was Shalamaneseh and Mahamson, Frederick G. Williams was Shedder Leomak, John Johnson was Zombre, Mine elders are Benimi, Kirtland was Shinaha, the printing office was Laneshine House, the mercantile establishment was Ozonda, New York was Kane Hanek. I'm sure that I'm sure you wanted to know all about that. Orson, Orson Pratt answered this question in this way The law of Enoch is so named in the Book of Doctrine and Covenants, but in other words, it is the law given by Joseph Smith Jr. The word Enoch did not exist in the original copy, neither did some other names. The names that were incorporated when it was printed did not exist there when the manuscript revelations were given, for I saw them myself. Some of them I copied, and when the Lord was about to have the book of commandments given to the world, it was thought wisdom in consequence of the persecutions of our enemies in Kirtland and some of the regions round about or around that some of the names should be changed, and Joseph was called Barak Ale, which was a Hebrew word meaning God bless you. Uh, and he was also called Gazalim, being a person to whom the Lord was had given the Urim and Thummim. He was also called Enoch. Sidney Rigdon was called Benem, and so on. The, the revelation where it read so many dollars into the treasury was changed to talents, and the city of New York was changed. In the 1981 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, the substitute names were eliminated since the need for them no longer existed. Whew, that's a long introduction, isn't it? Okay, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Joseph Smith, Jr., saying, Hearken unto me, saith the Lord your God, who are ordained unto the high priesthood of my church, who have assembled yourselves together, and listen to the counsel of him who has ordained you from on high, who shall speak in your ears the words of wisdom, that salvation may be unto you in that thing which you have presented before me, saith the Lord God. 
to make the Lord's people equal in earthly things and help them receive a place in the celestial kingdom. That's the purpose for this. For verily I say unto you, the time has come and is now at hand, and behold and lo, it must needs be that there be an organization of my people in regulating and establishing the affairs of the storehouse for the poor of my people, both in this place and in the land of Zion. In March 1832, the Lord revealed that there must be an organization to regulate and administer the law of consecration among his people. He called this organization the United Order. Verse 4, For a permanent and everlasting establishment and order unto my church to advance the cause which ye have espoused to the salvation of man and to the glory of your Father who is in heaven, that you may be equal in the bonds of heavenly things, yea, and earthly things also for the obtaining of heavenly things. For if ye are not equal in earthly things, ye cannot be equal in obtaining heavenly things. For if you will that I give unto you a place in the celestial world, you must prepare yourselves by doing the things which I have commanded you and required of you. The law of consecration has been lived by other people in prior dispensations. You can read that in the book of Moses, chapter 7, verse 18, Acts, chapter 4, and uh, 4 Nephi. All of that has to do with the United Order. Verse 8, And now verily thus saith the Lord, It is expedient that all things be done unto my glory by you who are joined together in this order. Or in other words, let my servant Newell K. Whitney and my servant Joseph Smith Jr. and my servant Sidney Rigdon sit in council with the saints which are in Zion. Otherwise, Satan seeketh to turn their hearts away from the truth, that they become blinded and understand not the things which are prepared for them. Wherefore, a commandment I give unto you to prepare and organize yourselves by a bond or everlasting covenant that cannot be broken. And he who breaketh it, it shall, and he who breaketh it shall lose his office and standing in the church, and shall be delivered over to the buffetings of Satan. Elder McConkie explained: To be turned over to the buffetings of Satan is to be given into his hands. It is to be turned over to him, with all the protective power of the priesthood of righteousness and of godliness removed, so that Lucifer is free to torment, persecute, and afflict such a person without let or hindrance. When the bars are down, the cuffs and curses of Satan, both in this world and in the world to come, bring indescribable anguish, typified by burning fire and brimstone. The damned in hell so suffer. Continuing verse 12, until the day of redemption, or the day of resurrection. Verse 13, Behold, this is the preparation wherewith I prepare you, and the foundation and the ensample which I give unto you, whereby you may accomplish the commandments which are given you. In other words, this is also to help the church stand independent above all other creatures. That through my providence, notwithstanding the tribulation which shall descend upon you, that the church may stand independent above all other creatures beneath the celestial world. That you may come up unto the crown prepared for you, and be made rulers over many kingdoms, saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Zion, who hath established the foundations of Adam on Diamond who hath appointed Michael your prince, and established his feet, and set him upon, upon high and given unto him the keys of salvation under the counsel and direction of the Holy One, who is without beginning of days or end of life. Adam has the responsibility to supervise and direct the work of God on earth through all generations. The priesthood was first given to Adam, explained the prophet Joseph Smith. He obtained the first presidency and held the keys of it from generation to generation. He obtained it in the creation before the world was formed, as is mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. 
He had dominion given over, given him over every living creature. He is Michael, the archangel, spoken of in the scriptures. Then to Noah, who is Gabriel, he stands next in authority to Adam in the priesthood. He was called of God to this office and was the father of all living in his day, and to him was given the dominion. These men held keys first on earth and then in heaven. The priesthood is an everlasting principle and existed with God from eternity and will to eternity without beginning of days or end of years. The keys have to be brought from heaven whenever the gospel is sent. When they are revealed from heaven, it is by Adam's authority. Adam presides over the entire human family on this earth under the direction of the Savior. Jesus Christ presides over all the Father's children on many earths. The Lord revealed to Moses, Worlds without number have I created, and I also created them for mine own purpose. And by the Son I created them, which is mine only begotten. And the first man of all men have I called Adam, which is many. But only in account of this earth and the inhabitants thereof give I unto you. Wouldn't it be nice to know what's going on on the other planets? The Lord has not revealed the order of the priesthood on any, on any but this earth, but this text suggests that each world is presided over by the first man placed thereon. Further, Jesus Christ presides over each of these creations, giving his servants keys to preside under his direction. Regarding Adam's position in the priesthood and his relationship to the priesthood order in the various dispensations of the gospel on earth, the prophet Joseph Smith stated, Commencing with Adam, who was the first man who was spoken of in Daniel as being the Ancient of Days, or in other words, the first and oldest of all, the great grand progenitor of whom it is said in another place, he is Michael, because he was the first and father of all, not only by progeny, but the first to hold the spiritual blessings to whom was made known the, may, the plan of ordinances for the salvation of his posterity unto the end, and to whom Christ was first revealed, and through whom Christ has been revealed from heaven and will continue to be revealed from henceforth. Adam holds the keys of the dispensation of the fullness of times, that is, the dispensation of all the times have been and will be revealed through him from the beginning to Christ and from Christ to the end of the dispensations that are to be revealed. Therefore he set the ordinances to be the same forever and ever, and set Adam to watch over them, to reveal them from heaven to man, or to send angels to reveal them. These angels are under, under the direction of Michael or Adam, who acts under the direction of the Lord. This, then, is the name of the president, is the name of the priesthood, every man holding the presidency of his dispensation, and one man holding the presidency of them all, even Adam, and Adam receiving his presidency and authority from the Lord, but cannot receive a fullness until Christ shall present the kingdom to the Father, which shall be at the end of the last dispensation. That was by Joseph Smith. The prophet Joseph and others who, held, who hold the keys of the kingdom in the last days are presided over by Adam. In a future day, Adam will return to the earth and hold a council of those who have held keys. This meeting will be held at Adam on Diamond in northwest Missouri in preparation for the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That last part was by Joseph Elon McConkie. Verse 17, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye are little children, and ye have not as yet understood how great blessings the Father hath in his own hands and prepared for you. And ye cannot bear all things now, nevertheless be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. And he who receiveth all things with, thanks, with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him, even an hundredfold, yea, more. Wherefore, do the things which I have commanded you, saith your Redeemer, even the Son, Amen. Amen, A-H-M-A-N. This is the name of Jesus Christ in the pure language given to Adam. Orson Pratt stated, 
There is one revelation that this people are not generally acquainted with. I think it has never been published, but probably it will be in the church history. It is given in questions and answers. The first question is, what is the name of God in the pure language? The answer says, Amen. What is the name of the Son of God? Answer, Son Amen. Elder McConkie explained, in the pure language spoken by Adam, and which, we, which will be spoken again during the millennial era, the name of God the Father is Amon, or possibly Amon, a name title having a meaning identical with, or at least very closely akin to, man of holiness. And that's, uh, if you check out uh, Moses chapter 6, verse 57, talks about um, man of holiness. God revealed himself to Adam by this name to signify that he is a holy man, a, a truth which man must know and comprehend if he is to become like God and inherit salvation. Since Amun is the name of God, the father in the pure language spoken by Adam, son Amun is the name of his only begotten son. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. Continuing verse 20, who prepareth all things before he taketh you, for ye are the church of the firstborn. And he will take you up in a cloud and appoint every man his portion. And he that is a faithful and wise steward shall inherit all things. Amen. Now, an explanation of the phrase here, the church of the firstborn. In order to belong to the church of the firstborn, you must be sealed in the temple to your spouse. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who do so devote themselves to righteousness that they receive the higher ordinances of exaltation become members of the Church of the Firstborn. Baptism is the gate to the Church itself, but celestial marriage is the gate to membership in the Church of the Firstborn, the inner circle of faithful saints who are heirs of exaltation and the fullness of the Father's kingdom. And that was by Bruce R. McConkie. I bear testimony that these things are true and that as we um, prepare to live the law of consecration uh, in its fullness someday, Day, uh, that we might uh, be prepared to do so, and uh, we can begin to live the law of consecration now by uh, giving of our time and talents to the building up of the kingdom. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.